Welcome back. Catherine, Al, and I are here to discuss Pillar 2 Curation from Chapter 3 of Dr. Gail Allen's book, The New Pillars of Modern Teaching. But first, a recap of our second learning task. We found that there are interesting similarities in people's preferences to acquire knowledge individually and make sense of it before collaborating or sharing with others. And this book study is a perfect platform to allow for these choices. We hope that this exercise was beneficial and will help you seek out learning experiences that align with your preferences and that you can now design the same types of learning experiences for your students. Okay, Catherine, let's hear about curation. Okay, I am so happy to start talking about Chapter 3, which is actually Pillar 2, Curation. And I know we're not supposed to have a favorite, but I think Curation might be my favorite. Um, the first thing, though, is I think everyone really needs to understand the definition of what is curation, because we hear that a lot. If we were trying to present on curation, we're like, I don't know what that is. Right. And so Dr. Allen has a great definition in the book, and she says it's the process of finding, grouping, organizing, and sharing content in an online world. And I think a lot of times we think about museum curators, mm -hmm. and we're finding that artifacts, we are putting them in some sort of... Um, interesting order or display by time period or artist and then sharing it with the world. So I think that's a great analogy for thinking about curation, yeah. but we're trying to do this to move from a scripted curriculum at a certain grade level at a certain time to being able to collect all of these resources either for ourselves or for our students and are getting our students to um, understand this process. Mm -hmm. And so we have in the book, the three S's of great curation. So let's dig into those three S's a little bit. Let's do it. So the first S is scanning. And um, do you all do you all want to share what you think that means or what that looks like in your world? In that world, in in, in my world, for me, that's Twitter. Absolutely. You know, I'm on Twitter. I'm scanning for information mm -hmm. that would be helpful to me, either professionally or personally. Yeah, I agree. And then also for me, I, I would say it would be Twitter, and then also things like. Feedly, Flipboard, oh, yeah. and just mm -hmm. being able to jump into those and quickly be able to bring up um, things that have been kind of curated for me in those those apps. So I think we always say when you follow great people, you get great stuff. You know where to find the information. And so when we're looking for um, Google tips, for instance, we don't have to just start Googling it, but we already have a hashtag that we follow and we have blogs that we go to first. And that allows us to scan and find that information. And I think related to scanning, we also should just at least mention media literacy. Oh, absolutely. There's so much mm -hmm. stuff that is, exactly, that's out there that, you know, I, I, I would assume if I was a teacher in a classroom, I would feel like I didn't necessarily possess all the knowledge to be able to teach my kids what to look for, um, what to watch out for, that those kinds of things. So that's a, a knowledge base that, that is starting to grow and people are becoming more and more aware mm -hmm. of the need for middle li media literacy education. Yeah, I mean, thinking back about Google's Be Internet Awesome, yep. that is a tool. And so and, and using that to be able to help kind of teach some of that media literacy. Absolutely. Well, I think with the um, things that we do when we're doing some tech training sessions, finding things that are current is one of the big pieces. Mm -hmm. Is this video even relevant anymore? Exactly. Be because something has been updated recently. Right. So um, getting our kids to find things that are relevant, current, um, reliable sources. Right. That whole piece is going to be um, part of our curation process and teaching that to others. 
The second S is about sense making. And um, I found a recent or more recent blog post from Dr. Allen, and she actually called the curation process a learning workflow. Absolutely. And I love that. And she tweaked the second S from sense making to studying. And so that might help us um, understand that. T- concept a little bit more, that process a little bit more. Yeah, and for, and that's really a student word, too. A- absolutely, yeah. right. So um, favorite tools for making sense of it all? Well, I would say um, Digo has been a, a big part of the things that we're doing as yep. far as being able to just kind of make sense of things, the annotating features and being able to tag and kind of group things in a way that they're easy to do. I know for me that it, um, when it came to bookmarking, I think a big struggle for me was being able to um, be able to get the information located, but then dive in and be able to actually get it in a format where it can become actionable and I can actually take it and put it into practice or be able to apply it to things that I'm doing. There's so many sites that I've found and I found multiple times because I really in the past wasn't doing a great job of making sense of the things that I was actually attempting to curate and to be able to scan for. So uh, I think Digo has been a big tool to be able to help me be able to do that and be able to tag and kind of organize things in a way that makes sense instead of diving into, hey, here is a folder with everything that's Google. Um, I can break right. it down and say, here's a folder that's just Google Classroom. Here's a, mm-hmm. um, Here are tags that are just things that are tagged that are just uh, maybe Google Drive and our Google Docs and things along those lines. So. Well, and we've come a long way from bookmarks stored on discrete computers. Right. (laughs) Let's just talk about that evolution. Um, Yeah, I I also use Digo. I came across recently another tool similar to Digo. I haven't had a chance to dig into it yet, but it's called Annotary. And it allows you to highlight and mark up and annotate web pages and add sticky notes. Um, Another tool that we talked about, Catherine, and I'd forgotten about was Skitch. Mm. Skitch is an Evernote product. It's still around. Mm-hmm. Oh, it is. Yes. Oh. I thought it had gone away. I did too. And it allows you to add arrows and really annotate and mark up um, whether it's a web page or a PDF. And so that can also be really helpful too. And I know a lot of surrounding dist- districts are using Kami as one of the extensions. And um, they've purchased it full-blown so they can annotate the PDFs that mm-hmm. way. So that's, oh, a, great. that's another option. But I love this quote in the book where she says, Unlike a textbook, there is no pre-established table of content. And so the sense-making part really is so important because we have to be able to find that information ourselves. And so I'm like you, Al, and my bookmarking, um, labeling, and filtering system has improved so much in the last year. Understanding, I can't just say Google. It's got to be. We've all learned that lesson. Oh, yes. The hard way. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Right. Okay, the third S is all about sharing and how do we get the information out there in an organized fashion. Um, One article that I found, and um, I love this point, it says turn knowledge into, nope, sorry, turn curation into knowledge sharing. And in this article, it talks about don't just share a list of links with people, but add your own little personal commentary to that so they understand why you've chosen this particular link. I'm not just retweeting something, but I'm saying I love this because of this reason. So adding that little piece. So if someone trusts me, they see my commentary, then that will maybe help them dig into that um, poster. You know, and, and that's a really great point. I didn't realize I was doing this, but when I see tweets and someone has added a personal comment, I'm more likely to click on the article. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Right. So um, I love that point about it. 
So when we're thinking about curation for students, what does that really look like? And the um, activity that I've tried in my sessions, and I think Ashley and Al both have used this, is from uh, George Coro's post called Adding and Subtracting Learning. And I think this is the perfect example of curation in action in the classroom. And in that blog post, he talks about how often have we spent an extreme amount of time looking for the perfect video to share with our students. Of course. Uh, guilty as charged. Mm -hmm. And what we are actually doing is we're taking that learning away from the students. Because if we have taught our students to find reliable sources, like you mentioned, Ashley, mm -hmm. current resources, we can say, okay, we want you to find something that works for your learning preference. Go back to the previous pillar, right. design. And we want you to find perhaps a video that's less than four minutes long mm -hmm. that talks about adding fractions with like denominators. Each student finds something that works for them. They share it in a Google form. And so now you have curated a list from your entire class of 32 videos from students. So if Al doesn't get that concept, I'm like, well, now you have 31 other places that you can look and find something. And I also think of uh, what I love about that idea is the fact that it's almost like going down a good rabbit trail. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, so oftentimes we get it, we get at those points where we may start chasing rabbits and it gets very distracting. But think about the times where you may have a kid, a student going through and searching for resources or curating resources for a certain topic. And all of a sudden they land on a good resource and then they start to examine the person who shared that resource. And then they discover some other pathways where some other topics that they're also talking about and discussing. Yeah. And then you all of a sudden discover this world that you never would have been exposed to if the teacher is the only one that is doing the curation portion. And so I think that that's a great uh, thing just to have um, just in mind. And so just knowing that you're going to get those kids on an opportunity for them to just kind of explore and to be able to really dive, dive deep. And the other side of it is they're going to discover that some resources are just horrible yeah. and they just don't fit. Um, and that they can start to vet. And over time, I think the resources become, uh, they become better and they become more valuable um, because of that, that process. Well, and when you're doing that, when you're teaching students how to, how to um, scan and sense make, you are teaching them how to learn. I mean, right now, like you mentioned, Al, um, in a previous episode, you are a YouTube person. And if you need to fix something around the house or learn something professionally, YouTube is one of your go-tos. Well, and that's true for all of us. It may not be a video format for me. I may be more of a text-based format. But you're teaching kids a lifelong skill. Well, and then the other thing that both of you are kind of walking around is, um, as Dr. Allen points out in the book, when the students learn sense-making, they can begin to self-identify gaps in their learning. Yes. And so if you are looking for your video over how to add and subtract fractions, and you think, oh, well, wait a second, I don't know this. And so then they can get down, like you said, the rabbit mm -hmm. hole, Al, and, oh, I need to know this part first. Mm -hmm. So um, Yeah, just think about that process without technology. And so if a student <laughs> oh, discovers that there was a point where there's a gap in their learning, who do they go to? Right. Um, they, I mean, they're obviously, well, I'll ask that question the next day. Mm. And now we're in a place where students can really just – they can go down those into those places and really go deep into the content and so with technology and so and they can do it anytime exactly even well, if they left their textbook in their locker. Right. <laughs> well, and if they're really interested in it, then they can continue at home mm -hmm. and they can really keep going down that rabbit hole and um, continue after class ends. So 
Fingers yeah. crossed that right. that happens. Right, right. Any, any time, any place learning. Well, I think there are so many tools that can um, and processes that support the three S's of great curation. So the learning task this time does ask you all to dig into one of the specific S's and what are those different processes that are um, facilitated by either a tool or a strategy. Um, so we are really looking forward to seeing what you all do for the three S's of great curation. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll get us out of here. Thank you all for joining us. Check out the site for the third learning task and resources related to this part of the book. We'll see you on Twitter at our hashtag R10EDU. And until then, as Katie Martin says, if we want to change how students learn, we must change how teachers learn. Thanks. Thanks.